0: Hello and welcome to the Parent Perspective podcast brought to you by Amazing Apprenticeships and Not Going to Uni. I'm Rachel Burden and this is the podcast for parents and carers of teenage children who are preparing to leave school. We're bringing you all kinds of advice and a whole range of options for your child from apprenticeships to trainee schemes to work experience to T-levels. And the whole idea is that we give you information you need about how to fund your child, where you can get advice and support from, at what can be a nerve-wracking but really exciting time as well. The first three episodes of this series are now live and you can find us on the Amazing Apprenticeships website, wherever you get your podcast from and you'll see us on social media as well. Coming up then in episode four, with so many options available for your child post-16, why is it so important for you, the parents and carers, to keep an open mind when it comes to their future? I'm going to be talking to Jill Eaton, who set up the training provider Sporting Futures back in 2011 to create opportunities and raise aspirations through apprenticeships. She's a mum of four and she's made sure that her own kids weren't pushed down one route, that they have plenty of options open to them. And my second guest is her son, Tommy. Tommy worked in education himself, but then in 2019 set up his own company, Bamboo Brush, with his partner, Rebecca. Jill and Tommy, a really warm welcome to the pod. It's brilliant to meet you both. How are you? Thanks, Rachel. Good to meet you. Yeah,
1: good to meet you. Great to meet you, Rachel. This is a bit funny, a bit weird having been on a podcast with my mum.
2: Well, it is. And I'm I'm going to try not to talk over you, Tom.
0: I'm going to let you do the talking, I think. (laughs) Well, I think it's a really important opportunity for us to discuss um, the parent-child relationship because this is crucially important when children start to make decisions about their lives. And I know it's one that I find quite hard to navigate with my teenage children. How much do I try and guide and advise them, how much do I completely stand back? So I think it'll be really useful to hear both your experiences together. So I'm really grateful that we've got you both on today. And I feel, Jill, like we should start with you, um, because the story starts with you, doesn't it really, given that you gave birth to these children. <laughs> um, so four, four children, and I know as well from having four children, they can all have very different talents, attributes, personalities what was your kind of overarching mission as they were growing up and and going through school what did you want to sort of give to them in terms of skills for the future and opportunities
2: oh that's a tough one to start with rachel that four four youngsters yeah four children proud of each and every one of them for their own different uniqueness as you say they've all got their special characteristics things that you like things that you think oh i need to move prove, that work on that one i just wanted them to be happy um we lived in a a busy household my husband uh, was working for himself i was in teaching initially for 17 years Teaching worked for me. It was great because I was full time, but I had the holidays, but I was with them, which was really good. And and for me, it was just a case of them being happy, really, and and finding their own way. I mean, we just supported them in whatever they wanted to do. And that was
0: it. I I want to come on to your own um, Mm -hmm. company and what you do in a moment. But did you ever make an assumption that they would go to university, that that would be the career path that you very much wanted them to follow? Coming from education, I think things have
2: changed a lot. And obviously one of my key focuses when I was in in teaching, the 16 to 18 year olds was a a crucial kind of year. And I loved that bit. I mean, they made us redundant because they closed my lovely school Norton back in 2003. Um, But that 16 to 18, doing the A level and teaching that group, that was a really crucial kind of year. Um, yes, university was kind of pushed on, on to, to youngsters throughout the school system, really, at that point. But it wasn't for everyone. And I think once you started to get, and we've seen a big change, and I know you're going to ask me about this a bit later, but obviously once you start getting student loans involved and everything and there's youngsters coming out with big, big loans to, to pay off, you've got to start really thinking about is university the pathway? Back in 2003, it was one of the potential only ones. You had apprenticeships. But the perception of friendships wasn't seen to be as, as as great as it is now. And there's lots of alternative options now with the apprenticeships. And it's really come on and we've seen a change in perception massively.
0: And that presumably is also what partly drove you into changing your working life and you set up Sporting Futures. Just tell us a bit more about that. Um, they
2: closed my school, which was a, a great school, but there you go. it's one of those. Um, and then I found a role as a, a partnership development manager in a school sports partnership in Stevenage, which was a role that was overseen by Youth Sport Trust. And basically, you had a role where you had to increase participation amongst young people, upskilled teachers within schools, so they had the confidence to deliver PE. Because what you found was that any young person who had access to high-quality PE, they achieved. Because if they were happy in what they were doing in PE, they achieved. Anyway, long and short of it is, was that it was working really well. We were seen as a successful partnership. Everything was geared towards London 2012 and it was based on the legacy of the youth, the youngsters. And then Mr Gove came in and pulled the rug from everyone. So a whole kind of new infrastructure and career infrastructure that was there for young people coming through college and uni, wanting to go into sports partnerships, it was suddenly wiped away. I had a team that I had to um, retain and keep their jobs. So we we were all made redundant at that point. There was money that was kept in the the partnerships, but only a a minuscule amount compared to what was there previously. So that was the the spark to to go into that business world, really, and had to set up. We had to keep the work going that we had been doing in uh, Stevenage, which was all about leadership, young people leading young people, and we knew the impact of of the positive role models and everything. It just filtered down, and it, you know, they wanted to be these young people who were leading them, so. It was just something we wanted to take forward. It naturally evolved into an apprenticeship programme. And that's when Sporting Futures Training and myself and my colleague, Joe Poutney, we both teachers and we just set it up and we unpicked the whole training provider world. Um, And basically started with about 12 young people, put them on an apprenticeship programme, began to bring the people over from Stevenage and they began to, to work with us. So everyone was secured with their job roles. Stevenage carried on as a charity. That's still going to this day. And then Sporting Futures Training just went into that apprenticeship world looking at alternative pathways for young people. We're mainly in schools. We started with PE um, apprenticeships because that was our world. And we now diversified into teaching assistant apprenticeships with SEND, FOCUS and everything. But ultimately the impact on the, the young people, initially they came to us and they were ones who didn't know what they wanted to do. They didn't have the academic credentials to potentially go to uni. So we put them into a school and they gained as much confidence, self-esteem, self-belief over the course of the year, as many governing body awards as we could give them. And at the end of that year, they they were equipped to move on to another kind of role, whatever that may be. But that was the start of the um, apprenticeship side, really for us. It was the impact on the young people that we had. And as I say, now we get youngsters from all, you know, we've got A-levels, we've got BTECs, we've got degrees even coming in and picking up on the apprenticeship pathway because the the skill set and the experience they get in a work, work setting, a professional work
0: setting, is immense and those transferable skills they can take on. Tommy, I just wanted to hear what your reaction is hearing your mum tell that story. You must be really proud of her.
1: Oh, yeah, I'll get, I'll get emotional about it. I know I'll make your mum emotional about it, but it is genuinely what mum... What Mum has done in specifically, initially, Stevenage and then Hertfordshire and then nationally is bloody amazing. And the impact, it's, it's the ripple effect of the impact that that Mum has made on people's lives. It's, it I'll, I'll end up well enough, but it is. And you, and you see people, you see youngsters who have come into the apprenticeship programme who didn't have that confidence and now they've come out of the apprenticeship programme, they've been employed by that school, and then they're creating their own impact within that school. It's immense. And it's something that, yeah, is bloody incredible. It's about the people you've got
2: around you. If you've got a team around you, and everyone believes in that one common purpose, then you can achieve. Um, I've been really fortunate, along with with Joe, and i, I business partner that we've had a team who really believe in those young people and it's individuals now it's not just young people because we've got more experienced individuals coming to us and everything so it's about the team around you and I'm very fortunate that we've got that real loyal team who get it
0: and see the impact really. Tommy for you then and and you run your own business now which is really interesting and I want to hear about that but I guess you were coming to the end of your early kind of school life as your mum was setting up this business so it must have been quite a busy time in in your household but did you have a clear idea of what you wanted to do when you
1: were 16? I yes I did um <clears throat> which was probably not not um that is quite rare really I always wanted to be a PE teacher really kind of I wouldn't say following mum's footsteps but sport was everything in in our household and um and I always wanted to be in PE I, 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 I it's where I felt most comfortable standing in front of young people or, or school children delivering sport I, it was all I wanted to do so I looking back maybe things would have changed but it was kind of a natural progression there wasn't I didn't feel that there was kind of any force going to university there was just kind of a natural I knew what I needed to do to achieve what I needed to do essentially and university was the the only way to get there and I think by looking back now at the apprenticeship side that wasn't available when I was at 17-18 whereas now I would I would have 100% I wasn't the most academic I had to work to get my academics but I probably through mum I was quite it was quite natural for me in regards to the the delivery side Um, and we were always around people who coached a lot and we were I was in high level sport as well. So it kind of that side was fine. But the academics, I would have 100 percent gone down in the apprenticeship route. There's, there's, there's so many more benefits. Mm. Uni for me, looking back, I've got a, a big debt and but I had a good time.
0: What's key here is and, and that's why there's a bit of noise behind you at the moment because um, you're at a conference. So you're there representing the, the business mm. that, that you have set up now. But you're sort of career path took quite a few twists and turns after that point didn't it
1: yeah so I came out of uni and always wanted to go into teaching i well I say unfortunately but a couple of weird things happened with 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 courses I was I, I went on and then opportunities stopped so at the same time Sporting Futures was growing and I kind of came in with to Sporting Futures as a as a tutor and as a mentor and um, worked with mum for two years which was amazing um and yeah it was it was amazing to kind of look up to see mum in in a professional light and see the um how much respect she has in in PE and school sport um and then after that I went on a three-month backpacker trip which was initially supposed to be three months and then I was going to come back and then go into um teaching or possibly go back into with Sporting Futures um, but yeah that three months in Asia and, and Australia kind of took the rug from underneath my feet and threw everything else up in the air and I was uh, my eyes were I say this in the nice possible way my eyes were open to an, uh, another way of life and I think I was very set in how I was I knew what I wanted um, and I thought I was very head well I was very headstrong but going to live in Asia and um, it just experience different people and different cultures and different, just generally dis- different to myself. I fell in love with it, and then yeah, that three months turned into six years. So, and then spent a lot, spent a lot of time in Asia and spent a lot of time in in um, Australia, and then worked specifically in the hotel, the the, the travel industry really, all around promoting um, travel and. I genuinely believe that travel is the one best thing in the world. I think it's what everyone saves up their money for, to go in retirement or go on holiday, and it opens your eyes, it it, it gives you a new perspective. I fell in love with that, and my roles were all around kind of the marketing side of promoting travel, specifically in Asia. Um, But then what I started to see was, although I'm taking photos and content of the image on the right and this beautiful um, beach or whatever it was, I was ignoring the left side where plastic pollution was just completely destroying one the beauty of of these incredible places. But what I started to see was how it was impacting people in these lower socio economic regions of the world across Asia. And there's we've got there's stories of I speak to elders in communities and they there's no waste management disposal system for plastic so the communities burn plastic and then they, they don't directly link it but the children in that community have nosebleeds and have headaches because they believe the toxicity of plastic in the air so all of these things kind of amalgamated and then started to work with companies around more sustainable sustainable practices how can you engage um making sure local people are employed in, in, in hotels organizing big beach cleanups yeah from that wanted to be I say selfishly, that's not the right word, but wanted to create that impact from a, from my own business, probably being inspired by mum and, and dad, that my dad also has his own business as well. So it's kind of a natural progression. And then, yeah, we launched in 2019, a bamboo toothbrush company with a big goal of hashtag 1 million by 2020 to inspire a million people to make the switch from a plastic toothbrush to a bamboo toothbrush run educational workshops in schools, which kind of links in what I was saying earlier. It's where I feel most comfortable. I love going into schools and talking about what I'm passionate in. It used to be PE. It's now the environment and plastics. And that's where I am today. I was speaking at a conference um, around sustainability in the hotel industry. Sorry, Tom, can I just interrupt there? Because you also on your travels, which took
2: you longer than you were expecting, met the lovely and your lovely Rebecca.
1: She never wanted to go to uni or anything and just booked a one-way after school, booked a one-way ticket to Thailand and then lived in Asia for about 10 years. So she's, yeah, uh, yeah she's an incredible woman.
0: So, and, and I know with your other children as well, Jill, and we don't have to go into to detail about all of their stories, mm-hmm. but they, they, they've all kind of taken, you know, slightly different routes in terms of as they've gone through their later teens and into their early 20s. But how do you sort of emotionally manage that situation that there comes a point where you just lose control so I've got this with my son at the moment and not that I particularly want to set out what he does in life but I want to know and I want a plan and he's saying to me I just don't know and I'm saying you know I, I don't mind if you want to do a traineeship or an apprenticeship but you've got to kind of work out what that is what are you interested in I don't know and and you want to sort of you know sort it all out for him how do you you let go a bit and trust that actually a bit of time, a bit of, you know, an opportunity to explore who you are will will be OK in the end. Uh,
2: yeah, that's really hard, Rachel, actually. I've always said oh. in the office because I, I, I think I'm the office elder. And they've, I've been the one who's had the, the teenagers going through and they've all been struggling with the little ones coming through because they're running and it's that physical side, isn't it? The mental side, because you're having to get them from A to B and whatever. And I've just been sitting there thinking, oh, just wait until the teenage years. They, you, you haven't hit anything yet because it isn't easy, as we all know, especially with siblings and the fact they're all so different. Um, I feel a bit guilty here because I think in a way, Tomorrow, I don't know if you'd agree, I think I've just kind of left you all to it to find their own kind of way. And I do feel a bit guilty. Um, so Tom, obviously, he all of them have been so good with with children and working with children, but whatever. That's it. Um, Tom, as he said, was looking at going into teaching, would have been a path, but no, he, he's diverted and, and gone gone his own way with the sustainability. Aussie was the football route, the professional football route, that hasn't worked out. Now he's, he's yoga and he's he's finding his way in the sustainability pathway as well. And then B was she wasn't sure about teaching but she's brilliant and I'm going to say now because being siblings and everything she is the brightest in the family she come out with a, a first class which is brilliant so that's kudos to be for all those years she was dragged around the football pitches and the cricket wickets and everything so there you have to be and then we have our JJ who's 17 who doesn't know what he wants to do and I've got to pin him down to start with, to see if he wants to start thinking about what he wants to do, because he's in year 13 now. So we, he's a bit of our unknown quantity, our number four. We know he loves music. He's great. He's kind. He's caring. He's just literally just passed his theory test today, and he's, and he's driving. And I'm, I'm dragging my heels with that a bit, actually. don't want him on that other road. But it's, um, so what does he want to do? And the question is, I'm sending him, directing into, to, you know, websites to look at apprenticeships because we know we've got, yes, he could come in and do this for a year to give him some breathing space and then go on to something else. He's potentially thinking about looking at what other, you know, um, my, my friend's children have done. One of them found his own apprenticeship pathway with a digital marketing apprenticeship in London in the city and that's really worked and he's flying high some have gone into to gas uh, you know to be gas engineers so he's not sure but the university option is there he's not quite sure if it's what he wants to do I know he would get a lot from it if he goes but potentially more off the back of what Tom's saying from a social perspective but to come out with a debt of 45 grand on 6.3% interest rates, which I don't think anyone kind of raises at any point, which frustrates me so much so. It's it's really hard. So with Jay, in answer to your question, I don't know, Rachel. He's got to look at what he's interested in. And hopefully he will find his way with something. But at this moment in time, he's not sure. Don't
0: panic, Tommy, I was just going to say, mm. sorry. You know, that's that's that, the other yeah. thing. You don't have to know. I mean, yeah. my 15 my year old no. is a very young year uh, 11 student. So he was 15 in August. So how the heck is he supposed to really know what, what yes. he's going
1: to do with the rest of his life? One thing Mum's saying that she doesn't know, but I think one thing that, Mum, you've been amazing at is we're all very good with people. And, and that comes from both you and dad. We're both all very good with people. So no matter what we go into, we're going to do well. So I think looking at kind of the answer to the initial question, not that I'm a parent yet, and I no, I don't know, but I think the fact that we're able to have these, conv- like, be comfortable within conversations with, whether it's a hierarchy of people or just a complete array and variety of people is, a, is so important. I feel I'm very lucky that I've been able to have that because I can speak. I feel so comfortable speaking to anyone, and I think all of us are very comfortable speaking to anyone, which naturally will be in some level successful for for you.
2: You're right, actually, Tom, and that's something that's not taught. That's just happened. It's mm. the fact if you can look someone in the eyes and talk to them, and I've seen it with with our youngest go into a room with someone he didn't know and gone up and shook his hand and said hello. And start a conversation, and I think that's something that is is really important. Those social skills, but,
0: but but that but that is something that actually, you know, kids will pick up from potentially from that apprenticeship yeah, route exactly. in a way that they may or may not at university when you can get a little bit lost in in the crowd. But just just tell us, Jill, how apprenticeships the landscape there is has changed, and the kind of people you've got coming through and and what people want to achieve through apprenticeships these days. Right, the landscape has changed. I mean, I want to go back a little bit. You've got all those anxieties
2: that are there now, that were there pre, pre before COVID, which have been enhanced. So there's all those that we see a lot of now, really sadly. Um, and those going to uni who potentially, you know, it's not what they were expecting because of social media and they've seen that it's all singing or dancing. So we do get youngsters coming back to us for who've, who, who it hasn't been the route for them, and the apprenticeship has proved to be the pathway. But got one in mind now who it didn't work for him. He's come back and he'll be qualified teacher in, in a couple of months' time. So there's different ways. So the transferable skills, it, it's that opportunity. I'm, I'm using the school setting as an example, but obviously you've got all the work settings of different fields of different sectors. It's the working with uh, other people. It's the, the relationship building, the positive relationships, dealing with that person who's been in the trade for so long and you've got to negotiate how to communicate with them because potentially they're a bit negative at the start or something. So all those life skills that the apprenticeship really does so well, the work-based learning that takes them on and allows them to achieve. We have more, um, we have pathways so they can come into us. The school is a very nurturing environment anyway. And especially if it, it works for the apprentice and it works for the, the school. But they'll, they'll take them through and then they can potentially do the apprenticeship. More universities are recognising the value of work-based learning, so it's not all down to UCAS points. And we're finding that, you, that universities are taking apprentices as for interviews. And once they're interviewed, then they have to find their own way. But that has been a big change as well. But we're finding as well that some of our learners, the alternative pathways into teaching, for example, they'll do their apprenticeship, Then they'll find a part-time degree and then they will be working in the school that they've done their apprentice as a teaching assistant or support staff so they're earning whilst they're doing their day release at uni which brings with them you know a six grand price tag as opposed to a nine and a half grand and at the end of that there's potential for them to go into that school if that's the way it it all works for them as a teacher. So there's all different pathways and we've definitely seen a change in, in perception. And we're getting more with the change of the um, the standards as well. There's more experienced people coming into apprenticeships and we do upskills as well. So looking at your teaching assistants, upskilling and that sense of achievement and attainment is is immense. It's a motivational, internal motivation. It's massive.
0: I think a lot of people sort of assume that you need to go to, to university to experience a kind of um, a period of of growing up and finding yourself and having this incredible social life but Tommy your own life experience um, suggests that there are many different ways of doing that Um, it might be that you got that at university but I wonder if you did a lot more learning actually when you were traveling and spending time in all those different cultures and all those different countries.
1: 100% and I'm a the biggest advocate for Travel and in some respects, when I think eighteen, nineteen, young people are a bit too young to travel. In some respects, depends on their level of maturity and confidence. But I think as you go into your twenties, just being ex- exposed is the wrong word, but being, being around different people, I think, and different cultures and different ways of thinking and different, it it kind of calms you. And I think in the UK, especially we live. Twenty minutes from London, it's very busy, and and this there is pressure, and naturally there's friends who go into London and they earn a lot of money and they have this roller coaster of a life and it's great and there's all these pressures externally, but I think travel just helped me clear some of that, just opened the options, uh, and I think nowadays I would advocate for anyone to go travelling at. At an age in which they they feel comfortable traveling with a group of people, university was great. It was fantastic, but I think I was quite confident at, before going to uni. So those independent life skills, I kind of mum will probably say different, but I I kind of knew what to what what to do, how to <laughs> wash, how to cook everything. But some people don't, and that those are invaluable. Going back to what um, mum was just saying, I'm just, I was just listening to a, a talk today, and um, they had the. The CEO of Accor Hotels was talking about how the landscape in business and employment has changed. And before COVID, people were looking for careers. uh, And they were going into a career expecting a nine-to-five full-time job, hospitality specifically. They're now looking at, they've opened up the flexibility of everything and looking because they into like two or three days a week, and that's still being some level of a career for people. But they know that young people, want to have kind of a flexibility around what they ha- what they do so it might be that they work within hospitality or within their roles for two or three days a week they might work at a coffee shop because they want some they want some lower stress level jobs for another two days a week or they might have their own side business or something else happening one day a week so it was just really interesting listening to that from a core hotels one of the biggest global hotel groups and from the ceo explaining that Hospitality itself has been kind of decimated through COVID and bringing those people back into employment is really hard, especially in the UK with with what's happened with Brexit and a lot of uh, European um, employment. Um, But just hearing it to see that people are more open, a bit more flexible and businesses are more flexible about their recruitment of people because people want that flexibility
2: there's no right and there's no wrong way is it it's so different and and looking at uh, my guys coming through now it, the world out there is is so different with the hybrid learning they're going in they're looking for jobs that have got you know working from home and whatever because they can because it's just completely changed we see a lot of our apprentices coming through who are that 16 to 24 age group And the anxiety is because they don't know what they want to do. And the fact that they've actually secured that job for that year, two years as an apprentice is immense. And when they're together, I'm trying to say to them, don't worry. It doesn't matter what you've got this time. You gain what you can from this experience. Some of you may want to go on the pathway into teaching. But if not, take those transferable skills and look and see what those next steps are. But don't panic and don't worry because you're young. And that's it. And for me, it's all about lifting their heads up so they can see what opportunities are out there.
0: That is about such valuable do. advice, Jill. I can't tell you. Um, and I was going to ask you what advice you have for parents. But I really want people to take that message away from this, if they take anything away from it. Um, and, and the other thing is just just finally, like how how do parents and carers start navigating their way through the whole kind of um mass of what is available and what's out there for example how would they find out about apprenticeships at sporting futures how would you find out if that was right for you or even if you could apply for
2: right well there's the you've got the government website recruit uh, find an apprenticeship so if you go on that local areas have their own sites for example in Hertfordshire you've got the hearts opportunities portal amazing apprenticeships obviously do a lot of signposting um, so you you go on to you've got the not going to uni website so it's all there on the on the websites. Um, our one would be a case of going to our website and everything's on there, and then it's a case of attending information evenings and everything. But the find an apprenticeship is your main kind of portal, as it were, for finding out what's out there. But the other thing I'd say as well is go into the if there's a company that your son or daughter's interested in, go to their website because they will have their vacancies and positions like the BBC. You know, you go on there and you'll see what opportunities are coming up, whether it be, you know, graduate programmes or apprenticeships. But we know it's really hard. It's it's all about networks, isn't it? Tom, I don't know if you'd say
1: anything different being out there in the wide world. Um Yeah, I just think go to go to the businesses. I think go to the businesses, see what opportunities there are. And I I think the big big thing that mum's touched on is then those transferable skills. I mean as a parent I'm not a parent yet. I'm actually, Rachel, I'm, I've got six six weeks that mum's going to turn into a nanny. Um, <gasps> so A nanny. Oh,
0: how exciting.
1: Yeah. All excitement. So um, in I'll, I'll be listening to this podcast to get some lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's just them transferable skills are so important, so important because you can just take them into different sectors and then, and then as you go, that pressure's Alleviates, and you'll find naturally you'll just find something that people are, are passionate about, or have got an enthusiasm about, um, and that's what. Not saying I'm perfect example, but I just think I've done. I think I worked out. I've I've had over 40 different jobs in my life. I've just I've done so many different things, and. I've done okay in them, I'll, yeah. I'll, and it's I'm lucky that I've got those transferable skills.
0: Yeah, look, I think I think you can feel very proud of Tommy, Jill. I think Tommy can feel very proud of your mum and everything that your family's achieved. And I think the key messages are: don't panic. Remember that all these opportunities provide valuable skills that can transfer, and life will bring many different opportunities. And just because you set off on one route doesn't mean to say that's the route you're going to stay down. And I think that's really reassuring for parents and carers who are slightly on the brink at the moment of, of making decisions with their children or their children making decisions. Listen, thanks so much to both of you. It's been really, really interesting and inspirational to listen to. We really appreciate (laughs) it. No, thank you for being on. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Parent Perspective. As always, we're keen to feature as many parents as we possibly can in this series. So if you want to get involved or if you have any questions at all that you would like us to answer, then you'll find Amazing Apprenticeships on social media. That's at AmazingAppsUK. Or find not going to uni. That's at not going to uni uh, on any social media platform, and just use the hashtag parent perspective. Thanks. We'll see you next time.